any compressor that is pushing more than two and a half, three CFM of airflow is going to air up a single tire in the same amount of time, no matter what the CFM rating of the compressor is. We introduce regular product giveaways happening here on the Jeep Talk Show every month and sometimes every week. The world's most downloaded Jeep podcast will be giving you, the listener, a chance to win serious gear from major companies that you know, love, and trust. You want a chance to win tires, suspension components, maybe more? Listen every week for your chance to win big. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the G-Dog Show with Wendy. There will be body damage. Chuck. I like making people laugh. That's It's good for my soul. Chuck. Yeah, I don't think so. And Johnny. That's a huge deal. So sit back. Strap in. And brace yourself. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm the first host on the Jeep Talk Show. If 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 I was on the Internet Movie Database, I would be the one that was on every episode of the show. You know how you go and look and you see somebody was there for all you know, 100, 200, or whatever episodes. I'm here for every episode. I think that's a correct statement. Does anybody does anybody remember an episode that I wasn't on? I mean, uh, if you were hoping I wasn't on, that doesn't count. <laughs> I know. Bad jokes uh, aside. <clears throat> so I had a great time with John Lee and Bill, both JTS team members and several listeners at Hidden Falls Adventure Park on November 5th. I did more with the Gladiator than I had ever done before, and it worked great. I'm getting a lot more confidence with the Gladiator. Uh, I, really, I'm not con- so concerned about damaging it other than underneath because it does have a tendency to uh, hang up. And I think it's on the the rear uh, lower control arms that uh, that hit stuff occasionally. And uh, certainly some uh, some skids on that would, uh, would, would make me feel a lot better. It, but it's fine. It's doing just fine. And I think I only hit uh, the bottom on it twice uh, this, this past time. So basically, I was following Bill's 392. And if Bill was able to go up and over it, I went up and over it fine. Uh, He's using the the stock uh, two inch lift on the 392. Uh, he did have to take a bit of a, uh, a, a, a would it be a rest if you're laying down? Uh, he did have to take a bit of a break to install additional bump stops because uh, he was rubbing. But uh, once those uh, bump stop, bump stops were installed, he was uh, good for the rest of the day. You know, going out to the park, we didn't really announce it or anything. Uh, I think I mentioned it on one or two of the episodes, but it was just kind of a small group going out to, to Hidden Falls. And I was just thinking, would you like to get notifications when we're planning to go off-road? You know, we can always mention it on the show or in the newsletter, but I think joining our Discord server, you joining our Discord server, might be the best way to check and see what's going on uh, for our off-road uh, adventures. Uh, I, I, and I think we talked about this, uh, or coming up in a, uh, an episode, you're going to hear us talking about uh, Hot, uh, Hot Springs, uh, Arkansas. And I think that is a run uh, John and Bill are going to be doing uh, the weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, like the Saturday or something. So you know, just keep listening to the shows and uh, check out uh, Discord. Oh, and if you don't know how to join Discord, just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Scroll on down, you will see the Discord invite right there. 
This is Zach from CNM Jeeps. This is Lisa Simon from Trim Perfect. This is Alan Peterson with Painless Performance Wiring. This is Amy from TNA Decal. This is Neil from SFJ4x4.com. This is Randall Spear, Motorsports Manager from Dana Aftermarket. This is Paul Wolf from ENI USA RM. I'm John Eastmore from Black Forest. This is Nathan Leahy from Mickey Thompson Tires and Wheels. And, and you're listening, listening to the Jeep, Jeep Talk Show. And a nice big Jeep wave goes out to all of our friends and fans in the off road industry. We thank you for your support. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Idy ho, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight we're going to be talking with Tyler. He is the founder and president of Morflate. I thank you for correcting me that now before I said more flat. <laughs> Multi-tire, and somebody else is going to do it too, so I'll, I'll just be the dumbass on, on deck. Uh, Morflate multi-tire inflation kits. He has a passion for vehicular recreation, from using trails to working on trails to helping keep trails alive. You know, I can do those first two. That last one is, you know, it's like cleaning up your room. I have a hard time with that. He spends far too much time uh, out on the Rubicon Trail uh, during the summers and sometimes winters is the VP for Mad Hatter's 4x4 Club, a huge radio nerd, co-owns NorCal 4x4 Rescue, a volunteer off-road recovery group, and co-hosts the Snail Trail 4x4 Podcast. Welcome, fellow podcaster. Thank you very much, Tony. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited to be here. It should be a lot of fun. I love doing podcasts. So the first thing I want to ask you about, everybody knows how much I... Um, I don't want to say despise, but think it's going to be a drama-filled uh, crash, uh, Kardashians or something, when anytime there is a uh, any kind of club, not necessarily a Jeep club, I think probably a Jeep club has, has more uh, possibility of being okay than anything else, because Jeepers generally t- treat each other okay, but is it is it just the shit show that I think it is with all the different personalities and everybody fighting uh, about want to do this, want to do that, and I just... I just never have liked the idea of clubs. It's uh, it definitely you got to find the right club for you. Don't always assume that you go to one club meeting to try to club that all clubs are like that. There's all sorts of different clubs out there. They all have different political views that some clubs like to base things around. They've all got different, you know, um, different views on whether or not other types of vehicles are allowed in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's different views on, you know, whether they like to do a ton of drinking on the trails or not. <laughs> um, I mean, it's there's it's all sorts of everything is out there. Um, I'm a big fan of clubs for people that are just getting into the sport, just getting into the hobby, right? It gives them kind of a something to learn under guidance of other people who have a lot of experience. Um, it also helps them kind of learn where trails are in their area and uh, what good trail etiquette is, what tread lightly principles are. Um, so it's a, it's, I'm a big fan of clubs, but you definitely have to uh, find the club that works for you. Don't always just assume uh, that you're stuck with one club if you're, you're, that's where you're stuck at. So, right. uh, so, definitely so look around. So you understand how, where I'm coming from. I mean, I don't have a mm-hmm. particular instance or anything like that. It's just in general where there's um, people involved that are, I, I don't know, uh, in the same room as you're in. I mean, podcasting, it's, it, 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 in one way, it's, uh, it kind of sucks because you're not interacting with people, 
But in another way, it kind of doesn't suck because you're not interacting with people. You can do your own thing and then they can like it or not. But if you're in a club, you have to really, I mean, you have bylaws, you have certain things that you do and don't do, of course, but Hmm. you have to listen to all the the input. You you do and you don't don't i mean you do and you don't so like the the great thing about being in a volunteer clubs you can always tell people hey if you don't like the way something's being done then volunteer step up and do it yourself yeah <laughs> otherwise true. stop your bitching um and usually you say that enough time to somebody and if they keep complaining then they just stop showing up right and you're just like cool we got rid of them um but uh other times you know if you really want to see something happen um clubs are a great way to step up and make something happen that you want to see happen. Um, and a lot of times clubs are a lot of followers, a lot of people that, you know, just want to go off-roading and they're not quite sure how maybe they want to do it or where they want to go right. or what equipment they should have. And so a lot of times, a lot of club members are followers and there's very few leaders in off-road clubs. So typically the leaders kind of get to make quite a few decisions and have quite a bit of leeway about what happens and where you go, what trips you want to go on, etc. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big uh, encourager of uh, people, you know, hey, if you want to see a run done a specific way, go lead it. It's not hard to lead a run. Um, and so, uh, yeah, when you lead it, you get to call all the shots. You get to do whatever you want. So highly encourage you to go ahead and do that. And if uh, you're not leading it and you've got problems with the way something ran, um, then go lead your own run. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice... It's kind of that, again, kind of catch-22 you're alluding to, but also with a, a volunteers, it's kind of like, well, if you don't like it, you don't have to stay around. There's other clubs. And so that's, again, kind of goes back to find something that really fits what you're looking for out of a sure, club. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that you have both uh, men and women uh, Jeepers or, or off-roaders mm-hmm. in the club because I don't think it's just Jeeps. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the do kids come out there too? Do kids uh, actually drive off-road or is that something that you guys say yay or nay to? Uh, we try not to let uh, kids drive off-road. Um, we try to keep, keep to, um, you know, driving laws in particular. Um, here in California, you know, we've, we're blessed with having public lands um, to go and recreate on. Um, I know that there's not, that's not always the case over on the East Coast, but on the West Coast here, we got quite a few public lands. And so we don't want to jeopardize having access to that by, you know, uh, having a big accident happen because a kid was driving. It's just kind of right. too risky to put the entire community at risk like that. Um, so we personally, we love having a family oriented club. Our club is very much that way. Um, and we uh, don't let the kids drive while they're on the trail. No drinking while you're on the trail. You don't save the drinks for when you're back at camp. Um, have a good time, obey all the laws. You know, we're not a super rowdy crowd. We try and make sure everybody is not having loud music or out creating a lot of chaos at the camp area um, past, you know, 10 p.m. or so. We're very conscious of other people around us that want to enjoy that space too. Um, so uh, it's definitely family-oriented club, but uh, yeah, keep the kids in the seats or let them hike along the trails next to us while we're going because a lot of times, our club is a pretty heavily rock crawling club, um, so you can usually hike the trails faster than uh, everybody else is driving them. So, right. I didn't realize there were laws against kids driving off road. I mean, on road certainly, but I didn't realize that uh, anybody that you know can reach the pedals could drive uh, when yeah, you're off road. Depend- yeah, it depends on the trail. The Rubicon Trail is kind of a special one because it's technically a county road. Oh, interesting. Um, 
So it has to follow all of the uh, road laws um, associated with on-pavement road laws, except that you can also take, you know, OHV, green stickered, non-registered vehicles out there. Um, but it's a, it's a, it, you know, it, you, I don't want to say it's a downside per se, but uh, the big benefit to being a county road is that it never gets closed. So um, the trail will doesn't ever get closed. It doesn't shut down for seasonal uh, closures. It's always open, always has access on the out on the Rubicon. So it's kind of a special in its own way. Every other trail around Northern California shuts down during the winter time when there's snow out. Um, there's a couple of over snow travel designated trails, uh, but for a lot a lot of the the rock crawling trails we have here in NorCal, a lot of them shut down during the winter. And Rubicon stays open year round, so it's kind of nice having it be a county road. So I'm guessing NASA or somebody designed the snowplow for the Rubicon Trail <laughs> to keep that road open. <laughs> that that uh, would be no pretty cool. Plows. We get to create our own trails. They're fun. Oh, <laughs> that's no fun. <laughs> so uh, that's Mad Hatter's 4x4 Club. And uh, I'm sure you guys go all over, but are, where are you generally located in California? Like where the meetings and stuff are held? Yeah, so we actually, when COVID hit, we did away with in-person meetings. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why the club is extremely active right now. Um, we so we do online Zoom meetings um, once a month, and then we have at least one run or event, something for people to get together and go out off roading, go wheeling, uh, one uh, a month as well. Uh, a lot of times we're averaging two, sometimes three um, activities per month during the summertime. Um, but it's a really neat place. We're uh, kind of based out of Livermore, uh, California, which is East Bay of the the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of, we were getting a lot more members that are just outside of that East Bay area now, um, that are joining the club. And it's kind of neat being able to be on zoom, be on e meetings, um, because it allows the, the club to open up more, um, and be a little bit more inclusive and allow more people to join in on activities. So do you find that you're getting people that are very far away from, from where you're located uh, joining in uh, through the club uh, since it's virtual? I mean, they could always uh, travel, but I would think that some people would just like to be a part of the Zoom meeting and learn things that you're talking about, about jeeping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what goes on in your Zoom meeting, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, how to make candy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just be, <laughs> yeah. be involved in, in, the, in that part of it. Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, we're getting more and more further out. So, um, from Livermore, I live about an hour and a half, two hours from Livermore. And so, um, I'm considered far away from the, the quote unquote, the clubs, the club's home center. Um, but everywhere that the club goes wheeling is up in the Sierras. So from the Bay area of California, the San Francisco Bay area up to Tahoe, the Nevada side, um, Pretty much we've got people all throughout that entire region there. Um, and then north and south of Livermore by two to three hours north and south. So Very interesting. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. realized that when you started talking virtual, you uh, you really have the ability to have a, a lot more people involved. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just checking out a map because I don't know anything about California. I've <laughs> been to uh, Big Bear Lake, California. Uh, and uh, yeah and wheeled on uh, uh gold mountain and oh my god it's just absolutely gorgeous i'm sure mm-hmm. you've been there right i have not been to that so i've been up to the uh, uh big bear lake area um for camping but i haven't actually done any wheeling in the big bear area which is surprising so yeah i was just going to yeah. ask how how your area the high sierras compares 
Uh, that way, it just give me an idea because I, I do have experience. Just it was only one day though. My God, yeah, they just fairly, I, I'd like to live there. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. I had you know with my previous life before I got into Morflate, um, I had a, a couple of opportunities to move. Uh, you know, out to Colorado, to Pennsylvania, to um, Utah for work. And I just love the Sierras too much. I love being up, you know, uh, anywhere from seven to 10,000 feet elevation in granite, blue granite, high Sierra trees. Um, that's what I absolutely love. And it's a, it's a very unique style of wheeling that we have on the West Coast because we just want, you know, high amounts of articulation at slow speed. So really low gearing mm-hmm. um, and, and high amounts of down travel. Whereas, you know, you go out to Moab and you want low center of gravities and really wide vehicles so that you're not getting off camber. And, you know, you go out to more of the East Coast and you got these mud covered rocks everywhere where you're having to use horsepower through everything. And you go down south and you've got, you know, just you just want tons of ground clearance and as big of tires, as much power as you can to get through mud pits. So um, it's always fascinating to me kind of learning about the different styles of off-roading across the country. Um and I just personally absolutely love the style that we have here in Northern California with the high Sierras, with that just granite boulders and high elevation, um, clean air, really peaceful environments, um, and get to see some really cool landscape that not a whole lot of people get to see right. um, getting out there. So that's really neat too. That's what I often say about Jeeps, and I know it's just, it's not only Jeeps, but uh, to a Jeep audience, I'll say mm-hmm. that it, having a Jeep is much like having superpowers. Because you oh, totally. can go and do things that other people can't do because of the Absolutely. machine that you have. So it, it's really cool. I often say uh, with great power comes great responsibility, though. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, let me ask you, uh, one of the things you just said kind of made me think about this other thing, about the huge radio nerd. Are you an amateur radio <laughs> operator? I am indeed, yeah. yeah. So that's the one of the great things about amateur radio is because you it's it's very much like the different types of wheeling you were talking about. There's so many different mm-hmm. things you can do in amateur radio. Yeah. Uh, I've got about three quarters of a uh, satellite uh, tracking station set up. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I got I got to run the coax, and I don't want to get in the in the attic. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but I got everything else going. Uh, so it's uh, it's very interesting. Uh, so. Uh, I would assume that you guys use uh, GMRS on your trail runs, or are you still doing CB? We are actually um, 80% of our club is using ham radio. Uh, Really? Yeah, we got uh, a lot of our clubs. So we're spoiled in California. There's a lot of tech nerds in in California with Silicon Valley and everything there um, that we have the highest population density of repeaters in any state by like a really big margin and they're quiet and, all the time <laughs> and yes they're quiet all the absolutely no they're not um but oh a, a it is in houston in the 80s it was busy but i hear nothing now oh wow yeah that's that's incredible to me i feel like especially in a high population area um like houston or something that it would be Exactly. You'd be able to find some really active repeaters. Everybody's doing uh, DMR or D-Star uh, or Ye- yeah. Ye- uh, Yezu Fusion, and they're going through their phone to the internet. This mm-hmm. That's not radio. That's Skype. That's Skype yeah. with a radio attached. Exactly. That's your, your. That's not your RF. That's a. That's an internet. That's VoIP. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Damn it. We want stuff that'll eat us up and kill us. We want RF. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I really like about uh, up in the Sierras is there's not 
the the proclivity of DMR and digital uh, radio repeaters has not really hit up in the Sierras yet. There's a few, you know, uh, quite a few in the the highly populated areas, the down in the Bay Area, but in LA, you know, those kinds of places. But they haven't really got up into the hills yet. So having FM analog up in the hills is uh, is pretty nice. And we have a couple of really really nice repeater systems. There's one that covers all of El Dorado County. Um, that uh, covers the uh, Rubicon Trail as well. So because there's such great ham radio repeater coverage on that trail, um, it showed us how uh, valuable it is to off-roaders in our area. And so uh, we actually have a pretty, I mean, compared to other parts of the country, we have a pretty high percentage of clubs now switching over to ham radio um, that have been making the switch for the past uh, five, seven years or so. Mm. But now that uh, GMRS licenses are only $35 to get, they got cut in half. Right. Um, we're seeing a huge, huge jump all of a sudden within the, like, the past six months of uh, off-roaders jumping over to GMRS um, from CB. And that's kind of becoming the norm uh, very, very quickly, which is really neat to see. There's a lot of really cool stuff you can do on GMRS. Uh, I just get worried about the bandwidth of GMRS and how many people are jumping over to it. Um, and if you think about it, the bandwidth is less than CBs. Uh, so uh, having as many people jumping over to GMRS right now as we are and people setting up rogue GMRS repeaters everywhere, it's causing a lot of chaos on the, the radio spectrum and frequencies right now. But um, I, it'll, it'll fix itself out. And um, once people realize how congested everything gets, I think that... Uh, new kind of protocols will get adopted similar to what's going on in ham radio with uh band plans and whatnot so well you know yeah. all for gmr gmrs and actually the ham radios have this as well the two meters 70 centimeters have the mm -hmm. uh, the privacy channels so mm -hmm. you just you just set the privacy privacy channel and you're on your own channel yep <laughs> yep um I'm, I'm, I'm bsing because yeah, yeah I, I tell people no it's just it, <laughs> just because you don't hear it just because you don't <laughs> exactly. hear it doesn't mean it's private <laughs> yeah i laugh at those all the time on the the frs marketing yes. on frs radios <laughs> it's a private channel you get your own i'm like hmm that's uh pretty funny <laughs> now now let's see if anybody says scramble if you, you've got a scrambling thing then the fcc is going to talk to you <laughs> exactly right <laughs> yeah i didn't even think about that i didn't even think about the gmrs having a, a more limited bandwidth and of course ham radio has a lot of bandwidth mm -hmm. um and i love it i mean i've but the, the thing that gets me is when you try to talk your wife and kids into getting a ham radio license it's a lot easier to you know get a GMRS license. They're covered, and now yeah. you have uh, basically the same thing as a two meter or seventy centimeter uh, mobile radio, short antennas, uh, good range on those short antennas, mm -hmm. and repeaters. So yeah. uh, it, it's just so much simpler than to try to talk somebody in. That's why I was really surprised that there's an eighty percent uh, ham radio population on on the trail. That's that's amazing. That's great. It really is amazing. I think it speaks uh, uh, wonders and testaments to uh, the repeater systems. And uh, I think a big push has been from the Rubicon Trail Foundation. Uh, they were the big pushes to get a, a really good repeater system to cover the Rubicon Trail. And once I was just going to ask that. Um, it's, uh, everybody started realizing how valuable and powerful um, having that really cheap insurance is <laughs> for when you're out yes. off-roading. So. Well, yeah. you can get into situations, and especially where you're located, uh, where you can't get out of the hole 
because Absolutely. unless you're unless you're uh, doing it on on HF because you need to you know bounce it off the ionosphere. So uh, having a repeater system, especially if the repeater system is linked through the internet or even through radio links to get you up and over the the peaks, it's really important for for emergency situations. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought this was really interesting that uh, you're part of the. Uh, uh, NorCal 4x4 Rescue, and I would assume that that's one of the things, one of the tools that you guys use is the repeater system. Um, yeah, the 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 main people associated that end up doing a lot of the recoveries uh, are very tied into that repeater system. Um, El Dorado County Search and Rescue and a bunch of the other search and rescue organizations uh, around Northern California are tied into the ham radio. Um, as I'm sure you're aware of, a search and rescue loves ham radio repeaters and being able to use those. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and so we have, we do work very closely with El Dorado County search and rescue. And so, uh, yeah, those repeaters get used quite a bit. And, um, you know, most of the time people are getting stuck. It's because people are, uh, coming up from, uh, the Bay area where it never really snows and, uh, they come up and don't really realize that, you know, you need to air down in snow that, um, there, there's a bunch of different things you can do to help your vehicle be successful in snow and they just don't, it's just, I, I hate to say it's pure ignorance, but, uh, it is, and it's just a matter of education. And usually when we, when we rescue somebody once or recover their vehicle once, um, we're not seeing too many repeat offenders. Mostly everybody kind of, we take the opportunity to educate them while we're recovering them about what they could do next time. And, um, we've turned, we found that that turns out pretty well. There's been a couple of cases where we're like hey we just got you last month <laughs> you know you knock it off and we're not going to come out and get you anymore if you keep doing this um but it's a 100 volunteer organization it's really cool the people that step up and and uh just love going out and using their vehicles to help other people um and so it's really neat kind of what we've been able to grow out of it it started i think when i came on board in the group we had a thousand fifteen hundred members um, and then just from me, I'm a, I love recovery, uh, getting into the, the physics of rigging and, uh, mm. recovery physics uh, is one thing I love getting into. And so, uh, I ended up quickly getting on the admin team and, uh, around 8,000 members or so, uh, the owner kind of took off. He had some personal life issues. And so I ended up taking over the group, recruited two other guys to do it with me as the owners. So well, there's three of us that own the group and, um, We've built it to, I think we just hit 25,000 people in the group and um, it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of service community thing that we've been able to build and um, doesn't really get used too much during the summer times, but man, during the winter, we get busy. So Yeah. What do you mm-hmm. do in your free time? I don't, I don't know what free time is. You kidding me? <laughs> now I'm usually, if I get a free afternoon or something, I'm, I'm spoiled being so close to some of the trails. Like the Rubicon trail is uh, two hours from my doorstep. The four dice is an hour and a half from my doorstep. Um, there's a lot of other really good trails we have up here. Barrett Lake, Strawberry Pass, Deer Valley, Slick Rock. Um, the, I, if I get a free afternoon or something, I'll just go up for the afternoon and disappear into the mountains and then come back down in the evening. So uh, it's, a, it's a really kind of nice central place to be if... Uh, vehicular recreation is uh, something that uh, you're passionate about. And and what is your uh, off-road vehicle of choice, or do you have more than one? <laughs> um, I uh, I'm a, I have a 1994 Toyota 4Runner. So um, I did just put Rubicon decals on it, though. So now it's a four-door Rubicon. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, you could put, you could slap Renegade on it. It would be about the same thing. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
<laughs> Perfect. That's just what Jeep no, it's does. A, yeah, it's a 1994 Forerunner. That's not much left of it. That's 1994. Maybe just the cabin body. Right. Um, I did a, a, an engine swap out of a 1997 Tacoma. Um, I have a front axle from an 85 Forerunner, a rear axle from a 92 Forerunner. I've got the dual case. Uh, dual transfer case set up, so my final gear ratio is 230 to 1. Jeez. Um, That's great for delivering mail. It is. It's fantastic. <laughs> you just kind of get out and let the, you yeah. know, you hop on top of the rig and just take Just reach a nap over there and get the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually gone snow wheeling before and uh, pulled myself on a sled. So <laughs> just the, the ruts are so deep. You just put the rig in low, low, and then lounge back on a sled behind the rig and let it pull you through the trail it's just so um, much fun doing that stuff it is <laughs> yeah 40 inch tires i've got an onboard welder um onboard air system um all the recovery gear in the world and a, a couple other fun surprises so yeah it's a it's a really fun rig and i'm about to completely redo it all so it'll be it'll be it'll leave, be fun leave nothing alone this is what we always yeah. tell people when they say i'm done uh, modifying my jeep no, you're uh, no, not. You're not. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yep. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And they go, oh, well, done for now. I'll give you done for now. You got in trouble and you know, I can't buy more things for six months. I understand <laughs> it completely. <laughs> exactly. The wife figured out how much those uh, Dana 60s were that you just picked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, the the whole reason for the interview, <laughs> yeah. let's let's talk about Morflate, multi-tire yeah, sure, inflation okay. kit. I, mm-hmm. You know, I get the feeling that uh, you know something about uh, airing down and maybe uh, getting in situations where you break a bead and uh, you need to uh, inflate tires. Mm-hmm. How, how did you come up with, well, first off, what is it? And then how did you come up with it? Yeah, good question. It is essentially, uh, in simple terms, it's a central manifold with hoses that come off of it. And uh, there's two hoses that come off. They go down either side of your vehicle. And then off of each one of those hoses hoses is a T that goes off to one of your tires. So you can hook up all four tires at one time. Uh, And once you hook up and have all four tires connected, it becomes one giant air tank is the simplest way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it self-equalizes all four of your tires. You can air up, air down, keep all the pressures the same. Um, and then we also have our, our air chucks default closed. So if you do blow a bead on the trail, you can just pull it out and hook it up to one tire and just deal with one tire and air doesn't come rushing out the other three leads. Oh, very nice. Um, Good thinking. I have. You thought of that after it happened, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. There's been a lot of different iterations of different parts we've used throughout the years. I think I started making these for myself back in 2015, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we finally brought it to market. I finally got it to uh, enough of a streamlined kit that I was happy with the quality the production of it, finding sources for all the vendors and all the parts um, that we brought it to market January 2019 is when uh, that brand officially launched. So uh, it's been a whirlwind of a journey because, you know, the first year was just kind of like, it was really just buddies asking for kits. Right. And then I was like, yeah, okay. You know, if hey, I make an extra 500 bucks a month to pay for my off-roading addiction and, you know, having to always constantly be rebuilding my rig, um, I'm happy. That's awesome. And then when COVID hit, it all just kind of exploded from there. And it's been a lot of word of mouth marketing and people just telling their friends and telling their friends and seeing it out on trails. And 
Um, it's been a big whirlwind and we've gone from, you know, just me making these, you know, two a week in my garage to we're pumping out 80 to 90 a week out of a warehouse with employees now. So it's really wow. neat. Wow. Congratulations. I mean, I think that's of, everybody's dream to, ha- to have a dream like this, put it together. <laughs> your buddies are always going to want a copy, you know, yeah, but, right. but having people you don't know. Mm-hmm. want to pl- you know pay their hard-earned money for these things that's that's mm-hmm. a that's just a great pat on the back so it is it's real and i'm still astounded at something that i just made because i'm six foot four and kneeling or bending down at tires one at a time to air up and air down just doesn't work i get stuck and i can't get back up right and so i'm just like man there's got to be a lazier way to do this that's right and uh and it just all stemmed from me being lazy really and uh it's I'm I'm still astounded at, at how much people have you know loved the product and loved what we're doing and uh, uh, really kind of hopped on board with uh, joining the brand and becoming really a part of the brand because that's really what I love doing is building off road communities and so uh, it's been neat to see this kind of little community of Morphlate uh, growing and expanding the way it has been yeah so I guess the the centerpiece is the the Morphlate multi tire inflation deflation deflator. Uh, mm-hmm. Or deflation uh, kit now, and, and that's a that's an important thing here because you can use this to not only inflate but deflate your tires when you're going off road. And if you don't know, you deflate so that you get more traction off road. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you'll find this out, uh, <laughs> especially if you're wheeling in snow, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, snow and sand, big time. Uh, you definitely want to get really, really deflated. I, and I'm still on leaf springs on my rig for now. That's one of the things I'm oh, completely God ripping it apart you. to redo. <laughs> um, so I'm a big believer in turning your tires into part of your suspension. <laughs> right. So I run, I run when I'm out wheeling on rocks, I run four and a half, five PSI. And when I'm in the snow, I'm on one and a half to two PSI. So uh, it's a uh, airing down is the cheapest, most effective way to gain more traction while you're on the trail. And it makes the ride more comfy too for the significant others while they're coming along. Now, obviously, uh, when you you hook one of these things up to an air compressor, it's mm-hmm. going to take uh, overall longer than it would to air up one tire because you're airing up four at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a? I, I believe you also uh, sell an air compressor uh, mm-hmm. with this. How long would it take? Uh, oh, god, my god, forties. That's got to, especially if you're if you're down to one psi. This has yeah. got to be a lunch break for you. No. So that's one of the magical things. So this is something I didn't realize um, going into building more fleet. Uh, you know, I was just like, hey, if I don't have to squat at tires anymore, golden, I'm happy. Right. Um, but I found out that uh, bottlenecks of uh, building a four tire system is not your hose inner diameter. It's not what valves you use. It's the Schrader valves, your valve stems on your tires. Uh, with the valve core in place on the valve stems, you're looking at about a one sixteenth of an inch orifice inside diameter of uh, airflow movement, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the airflow CFM rating of one sixteenth of an inch orifice is about one point eight to two and a half CFM, depending on what air pressure you're running um, for. You know, tires. Typically, we're not inflating our off-road tires more than forty psi. So kind of your top end is like two and a half CFM. A lot of compressors on the market nowadays are pushing, you know, 6.2 CFM with the twin ARB. You've got the Smitty built compressors and everybody who makes a Smitty built compressor is 5.65 CFM. 
they're they're literally pushing more air than your tire can accept. So any compressor that is pushing more than two and a half, three CFM of airflow is going to air up a single tire in the same amount of time, no matter what the CFM rating of the compressor is. So it's not really until you start hooking up multiple tires at a time that you really get to make use of the usable airflow capacities of these compressors. That's very interesting. I had no yeah. idea. And so uh, once we kind of figured that out, um, you hook up four tires together, you're, the airflow capacity of your system in order to put air into your tires uh, becomes upwards of 13 CFM, 12 to 13 CFM. And so uh, your air up time for you know one tire at a time, no matter what compressor you're using, if it does more than two CFM, is about two minutes. By airing up four tires at a time, we can air up a set of uh, 37-inch tires from 2 PSI to 30 PSI with our new compressor and the four-tire system in six and a half minutes. That's, that's not bad. You can't even get a good conversation going. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of talking at the air up place. And, and, the, mm -hmm. and the neat thing is, too, is that even if it's a six and a half in, minute uh, conversation, you're not uh, taking breaks to uh, go move the hose or hold the hose exactly. and wait for the uh, the horn to beep at you if you've got the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the air uh, notification thing. Mm -hmm. So, well, that's yep. good. I'm glad I asked that because I would think that would be one of the negatives associated with this. Like, well, what do I care if, if I can four, uh, air four up at the same time? It's just mm -hmm. going to take me 20 minutes. So yeah. I, I'm glad that you that you mentioned that. I had no idea. Now you do mm -hmm. not remove the the valve cores. Look out, valve cores stay in. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, as soon as you disconnect the air checks, you're going to get a blast of air coming out. So sure. you got to have the air cores in there. The valve cores almost all the time. All, all you do have to have them in all the time in order to not uh, lose air when you're done airing up. Right. the the way you The way you said that, I, I knew some people are going to go. Wait a minute. You got to take the uh, valve core out. That's going <laughs> to how am I going to keep it in there, honey? Keep yeah. your finger on this. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that that's cool. I just want to make sure that that was clear. Now, mm -hmm. um, so you've got the you've you've got the system, which is uh, like you said, a manifold. There's a, a air pressure gauge associated with this uh, with this kit as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, digital air pressure gauge. Uh, it's not a pressure regulator. Um, we've messed around with almost every type of regulator out there and uh just every analog regulator you know the valves you you'll use to set psi pressures on them they're set up for air tools at 90 psi um there's nothing that's ever been set up for off-road vehicles right um in terms of analog spring actuated regulators so um we just haven't found anything that gets within five psi in the the pressure range that use off-road tires so our digital gauge is just that. It's a read-only digital gauge. But the nice thing about it is it's within 1% accuracy across the entire scale of the gauge. Uh, whereas like analog air gauges, a lot of people don't realize that analog air gauges are built and they operate off of springs. So A, springs go bad over time. Right. But B, they are only accurate in the center of their scale. And as you get to the ends of their scale, they could be upwards of 10 to 15% off. Sure. Well, that makes sense knowing their spring uh, spring control because of the compression mm -hmm. or decompression of the spring. Exactly. So, okay. Um, let's say that somebody's got, and tell me if this would make a difference. Uh, somebody's got a, a, a JL, JLU uh, mm -hmm. or a, a Gladiator. What would be the kit that you would recommend? Good question. So uh, for four-door JLUs, JKUs, uh, 
you're looking at the 125 inch uh, regular quad Morphlade kit. Um, we build the kits based on uh, wheelbases. We realize that you know there's a lot of different wheelbase vehicles out there, and uh, we don't want to give uh, a universal wheelbase to everybody because you know for people who've got you know a CJ5 or a Samurai, mm-hmm. they've got you know six extra feet of hose they got to deal with compared to the people with the gladiators or um, whatever else is out there. So. Uh, we have different size wheelbases for those four-door JKs, JLs. Uh, you're looking at a 125-inch. I believe those wheelbases are 116 and 117, respectively. Okay. And so the 125 will fit beautifully on those. For the Gladiators, you definitely want to go for that quad 155, the quad plus 155-inch uh, wheelbase. Uh, gladiators can get upwards of, I believe, around 138, 135-inch wheelbases. Uh, so you definitely want that longer uh, kit for that. So, yeah. All right. So looking at the Morflate Quad uh, four tire up to 125 inch wheelbase, I mm-hmm. see a price range of 179.99 to 204.98. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the range? Why is there a range? I mean, I see select options, so I'm sure it's options, but. Uh, it's, it's essentially that digital gauge. So uh, we had people that are like, I, I have my own gauge. I don't want to buy another gauge. I've got plenty of them laying around. But that's going to be um, handy with it right on the thing where you don't yeah, have to totally take it off. Is. Totally is 100%. Um, it's super streamlined having it there on the manifold. Um, but And if you run TPMS sensors in your vehicle, um, then your dashboard will can tell you, you know, what all your tires are at. You can see... You know, if you're going down a trail and all of a sudden you've got a tire, you know, 10, 15 PSI higher or lower than the others, um, you can use your TPMS sensors and monitors to check that. Um, For people with older vehicles that don't have TPMS sensors, it's nice to have a gauge separate of the the kit just so you can use the gauge for more of a utilitarian usage. You can use it to check individual tires if you need to without pulling out the entire Morflate kit. Um, but again, a lot of people end up having extra gauges, so they'll just be like, "Oh, I've got one for the glove box. Put the, but, the gauge." But, but it doesn't on make any kit, sense so. to me. I mean, for just a few mm-hmm. dollars, you get a gauge that's tied into this thing. Now, the mm-hmm. one question I do have is, since the gauge is reading four tires, do you have to divide by four? Nope. Nope. It's all <laughs> essentially one giant air tank. So uh, yeah, I'm messing with you. The gauge says is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> people are going, "You're an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> what did I get myself into? Uh, I know. <laughs> so this is, I mean, but think of it. You hook up, uh, the, I would think the only, the hard part of this is getting it out, uh, un- mm-hmm. unrolling, uh, un- uh, unrolling the thing, hooking yep. it up to the four tires, turning the air compressor on, and sitting back for six minutes waiting for it to get its job done and glancing at the gauge. Uh, while, you know, yep. just, you're just sitting there cooling your cooling your heels, you're, you're posting on the tic-tac, you know, you're doing all kinds <laughs> yes. of things that you that you would normally not be able to be doing. And I, that's, and a, I, that's enough time to do like five or six uh, Instagram reels, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you've got the, <laughs> I don't know what, what, it, what it's like uh, where, you, where you are, where you wheel, but uh, when uh, we go out to Hidden, uh, Hidden Falls Adventure Park, it's uh, they have spotty, very spotty cell phone service. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it gets. Uh, I just wait till I'm on my my way home before I start posting stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, the, this is really this is a really cool idea. And of course, we've seen these things before. Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, they people come up with uh, little things that they piece together, DIYs and stuff. But you know, 
I think the fun in this is going off road. So just get the kit. It's already been tried and true and is uh, selling a lot uh, out there now. And Mm -hmm. of course it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's anything that has a tire that you can use this on. Mm-hmm. You just and need to make with the basic tire Schrader. A Schrader valve is what that valve stem is on, on standard tires. Uh-huh. So um, pretty much anything with the tire. We've got people who use them on their lawn mowers so that their lawns <laughs> are perfectly the perfect height that they want them. And I'm like, hey, oh, okay, whatever floats your boat. Goodness. Yeah, no, sale's a sale. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, they can use them in the bedroom if they want to, as long as they just, uh, <laughs> don't, right. don't tell me about it. <laughs> so yeah, the, the hose is great. It doesn't kink at all. So if you need to tie stuff up or somebody up with it, you know, that's a, that's another use you can use. So. <laughs> uh, there's been some conversations I can tell. Um, so the only thing I can think of uh, how you could improve this is if the hoses were red. Oh yeah. Um, we actually, so we started making the kits with a flexzilla hoses, which is a beautiful hose. It works, you know, it doesn't hold memory, doesn't kink. It doesn't freeze and get brittle in snow temperatures, cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a beautiful hose, but, uh, we, we had an issue just over time. The flexzilla hose tends to wear out over a lot of usage and it just kind of stops holding its shape and we found it starts happening around three to four years right of uh, usage so we ended up going and developing our own hose um from a, a factory and uh we have a thicker inside liner to it now so it'll last a lot longer be a little bit more durable um without before it starts starts kind of wearing in and and uh losing that nice features of that that makes flexzilla pretty awesome so um we ended up developing our own hose and going away from the flexzilla ones and um uh, now that we kind of have that connection to the factory um different colored systems are are definitely on the potential to-do list for the future oh i'm thinking christmas candy stripe would be a a really nice uh, (laughs) add-on that'd be a lot of fun (laughs) oh i got a lot of ideas but uh i've never uh contacted a factory to make hose for me though that's that's got to be pretty that's going to be pretty awesome like I can't believe was, that people are wanting these things so much that I'm actually contacting people to make hose for me. Right. <laughs> That's really cool. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Some other fun ideas we have is we uh, we do all of our laser engraving on the the manifolds. You know, it's a black uh, 6061 uh, aluminum, black anodized, and then we laser engrave the MF logo onto the uh, manifold. So mm-hmm. one thing that we're kind of toying around with now is a. Uh, allowing people to choose different designs to go on their manifolds. I knew you were going to say a Jeep talk show logo, but I just, I didn't, yeah, but, but that's not what you said. There's lots of stuff. There, <laughs> they should so. be on all of them. It's almost what I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, we can, we can strike up a royalties deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for money. Well, if, if you did a podcast, you know, there's no money in podcasting. Oh, that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> I get those things from LinkedIn about I'm in Bangladesh and I am a, a promoter for Apple and, you know, podcast. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. You don't yeah. know much about podcasts, do you? No. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> looks at Joe Rogan and everyone thinks, oh, you do a podcast? You're making money like Joe Rogan. You're like, God, I wish. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. Yeah. This uh, this is exactly how you make money on the podcast is by coming up with a product and promoting it on the <laughs> podcast. So it, I, it has I, definitely helped being able to, again, I like to create communities. So having the, the snail trail four by four podcast and building, you know, a really cool community through that. And then 
uh, cross promotion, man. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's exactly. a really cool thing. Yeah, exactly. And then one of the reasons why we love doing interviews is because we can get information out to our listeners that didn't know anything about it. I mean, I'm sure Absolutely. we've got some listeners that don't know anything about Joe Rogan and it's been all <laughs> over the news. So, but yeah. it, 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 speaking about Joe Rogan, that stuff is great for podcasters though, because it more mainstreams podcasts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, more people start start recording podcasts because of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's already crowded enough. But anyway, yeah. I digress. So, the, you mentioned about the hoses wearing out and having your own hoses made, and I'm mm-hmm. sure those will wear out too. Can people just buy the a hose kit to replace the hoses that they have, or how do you handle that? Yeah, we, we have a 12-month warranty, um, and we're really, really easygoing. We've warrantied stuff, you know, two to three years out. If it's if it's a problem with the system, we're going to stand by it, and we will warranty it out. We're going to take care of people. Um, I'm a big believer in taking care of people and, and doing the right things for customers. Um, and so 12-month warranty, 60-day refund. We haven't had any requests to swap out hoses yet, but oh, okay. that's not, nothing out of the realm of possibilities if you want to reach out to us and have a special request like that we'll totally do it for you so so would it be safe to say this is all usa made or do you have uh some some <laughs> from someplace else we've got factories we have about 12 different factories 10 10 to 12 different factories worldwide so we've got two or three in the states and then the rest are you know overseas um it's just, you know, if we, I would absolutely love to keep everything American made. I, I'm a big believer in supporting local economies. Mm-hmm. And, but if we, when I priced it all out with uh, American factories, kind of looking when I was sourcing all the parts, uh, it would have been a four to $500 kit easy wow, um, in order to, to make it that point. And I was like, man, it's a, that's kind of pushing the the price point a little bit, I think. So, but, but you still have the quality that you that you want for this, and still don't mind Absolutely. putting your name on it. Absolutely. So, yeah, what we do is we source all the parts from the different factories around the world. All the parts get flown into Sacramento, California, at our warehouse, and then we do all the assembly of the parts here in house by hand. We've got no robots. Everything, uh, every single kit goes through pressure testing, quality control testing. Um, and, uh, we definitely stand by the product and, uh, want to make sure that we are developing, uh, uh, and giving out a really good product and great service too. So if we put something out and there's an issue with it, please, please get in contact with us. We want to fix it. We want to make it right. We want to make sure that you're happy spending your hard earned money here. So, yeah. So real quick, uh, cause I do want to talk to you about your podcast, uh, the mm-hmm. Morflate, uh, 10, six portable 12 volt off-road air compressor. Tell us, yeah. tell us about that because that's going to be the, uh, the heart really of this system. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that was been, a, a a big thing where once I realized that the air restrictions on valve stems and that, you know, we really have the air capacity to, you know, now that we're hooking up four tires at once. We can actually make use of higher volume compressors finally in in a portable off road space, and so um, I got together and uh, contacted factories that uh, different uh, current air manufacturing uh, compressor manufacturers are using, and uh, said, "Hey, what do you think about doing this crazy hairbrained idea?" And uh, they kind of went with it and rolled with it, and um, they when we originally launched our very first model of it i want to say like a year ago um it was not what we had really wanted to bring to market but the factory said in order to make the changes i wanted to make 
um, we had to do a this big, huge order quantity of them. And I was like, man, I, I want to make sure you guys make quality uh, internals. I want to know your motors are good. Your cylinders are good. Your tolerances are good. Um, and so we did a small batch run to test the factory, see what their quality was like, and to see if the um, consumers are going to want this high output of a compressor as well, because the big problem with having this high output of a compressor is you cannot air up one tire at a time with it. Um, you can do it every once in a while, but running uh, one tire at a time all the time with this compressor, it'll blow itself up. It just puts out too much air for what one tire can accept at a time. So really, I was like, man, is everybody really going to want these compressors knowing that you have to be running four tires at a time, which means you've now not only got to buy a compressor, you got to buy a four tire kit, which is great for us, but is right. that really something consumers really want to do? Um, and so we brought in a small batch of 100 units and sold them within 30 days. And I, I was floored by the response people uh, were giving to them. Um, and then also at that very same time, I don't know who launched them first, us or Napa, but the Napa Maxi Track compressor is the exact same compressor as our very first one um, that we got from the same factory. And I reached back out to the factory. I was like, hey, who who actually got these first? And they wouldn't tell me. So <laughs> um, the uh, so I was like, okay, that's fine. I Now that I know um, other people are getting into this compressor, let's make the changes that I wanted to make to them. Um, I wanted to make them easier to be used and modified into an onboard air system. I wanted to have more universal fittings that work that everybody's used to having that you can find at any hardware store across the United States. Yeah, good idea. Um, I wanted to have a little bit better heat dissipation. I wanted a much better bag, um, higher quality bags that are you can throw around in the back of your vehicles while you're off-roading and bouncing around washboard roads anywhere. Um, and so finally, we made all the changes we had to them, and uh, they're just now landing. Uh, I think we have a, a order of 300 units showing up within two weeks here. So, um, is that the, the one first, you, you currently have on the site, or is that the old one? Yep, that is the one we currently have on the site. So we okay. uh, brought in, we expedited 100 units just to kind of get them rolling because we had a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately waiting a long time on the back order due to uh, production and sh global shipping logistics issues we had over the past couple of years. And so I expedited 100 units to help get those people taken care of. Um, so our next uh, unit batch of 300 units is uh, due in in about two weeks here. So um, that's cool. going to be huge. Um, awesome compressor. We're having a lot of success with it. Everybody has a lot of great feedback on it. That has a, a pressure cutoff switch built into it. So 80 on, 120 off, which is what ARB lockers like to operate at. Um, it has always blown me away as to why ARB puts 150 PSI pressure cutoff switches in all their compressors, because most people use their compressors to also run their air lockers, and their air lockers will blow seals at running at 150 PSI. And so I've always been blown away why they use that pressure cutoff switch for those. You really got to swap them out to 8120s. So we're going to start with our compressors at 8120s. Um, so all you really have to do if you want to make it an onboard air system is cut off the alligator clips, put a fuse, inline fuse on, some ring terminals, put it on your battery, and you're good to go. You've got an onboard air system with a pressure cutoff switch. It'll turn itself off. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about overpressurizing a tank system, anything like that. 
Um, but the other cool thing is um, if you haven't got into the, the awesome world of battery tools late, lately and you're still running on air tools, this compressor does put out enough airflow to run air tools on. So having wow. a pressure cutoff switch um, makes running air tools off of a vehicle, um, it'll do it. It's pretty cool. Well, I can imagine there's a lot of frustration and a lot of fear uh, associated with having something made, but how cool when it shows up, you know? It, it's been really neat, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. congratulations on all this. Um, so um, it, it sounds like that you got a, a great thing here. There's even some swag on your site if uh, if people want to go out and get a T-shirt or, or something. <laughs> uh, so there's yeah. uh, all kinds of things. you got everything going on here. And that's uh, moreflate.com. I apologize. I did not say that at the start, which I like doing. Uh, M-O-R-R-F-L-A-T-E, correct? Moreflate.com. That's uh, correct, yep. and, and you can say that it's this, the British flat E if you want to, How, <laughs> however you want to however you want to <laughs> yep. re- remember it, right? <laughs> yep, you can do that too, for sure. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> okay, real quick, uh, I, mm-hmm. I apologize we didn't get to this sooner, but, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a shame you have so many interests that are interesting. Um, yeah. So, the Snail Trail podcast, uh, the Snail Trail 4x4 podcast, uh, because we don't want to mess with no stinking two-wheel drive snails. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the you know the snail trail is often a, a joke that I've used uh, <laughs> about Leisure Suit Larry, you know, causing snail trails out, out on the dance floor. <laughs> but anyway, we won't go there. Um, so how long yep. have, how long have you guys been doing? Uh, and I would assume it's guys. Uh, tell me about the Snail Trail Four by Four podcast and how it came into being. Yeah, good question. We uh, it's two of us, myself and uh, my co-host Jimmy Jet. Um, yes, that is his real name. I was going to say that's a that's a podcaster <laughs> name there. <laughs> he's so he's he did uh, YouTube videos uh, on building Toyotas, how to build uh, Toyotas, mini trucks, older school Toyotas, fifth gen forerunners. He does a lot of um, on the Snail Trail Four by Four YouTube channel. And so uh, I, we actually got introduced by a mutual friend. Um, I was hanging out with this mutual friend Brennan. And he goes, oh, my God, you are into older Toyotas. You love building. You love digging into burr fields. Uh, you have to meet this guy, Jimmy. And so I meet Jimmy, and it was it was um, immediately like, oh, yep, best friends. And uh, <laughs> at right about that time, too, I started uh, kind of filling in for content on the High Sierra 4x4 podcast um, with uh, the Bakken brothers. Um, doing more kind of radio content, uh, ham radio, talking about ham radios, talking a little bit about Toyotas, um, getting some Toyota content on that channel. And um, and we did that. And I was like, hey, cool. Let's uh, create a Toyota segment for High Sierra 4x4. And so Jimmy and I started doing that for about six months and then realized that we wanted our own show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we started Snail Trail 4x4 podcast. Um, and, uh, we record two episodes a week or release two episodes a week. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've been doing it three years now and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. One thing to be on the podcast and get to kind of build this community. It's another thing to do the networking in the off-road industry and meet Mm -hmm. all these really cool people hear about these really amazing stories that, uh, that people have done in the off-roading world community and, and doing some historical episodes. We have this really awesome episode. Um, it's my favorite episode so far. It's the history of the Rubicon Trail. We got to sit down with uh, Merlin and John Arns, who are two staples on the Rubicon Trail for a very long time. 
And uh, it's a it's a phenomenal historical look at the trail. Um, and then we got to sit down with Dan Mick in Moab, who's you know a legend of Moab. Uh, and I got to sit down with him recently on our trip to Moab that we just got back from a couple weeks ago. And I uh, got a historical view of Moab, and it was just kind of neat. Um, I get a big kick out of just hearing these stories and then getting to share these stories with everybody. It's been a really uh, a fun. Uh, journey. So it, far it opens up a lot of doors because you have yeah. an opening. Uh, it's almost like the perfect pickup line. You you have this great <laughs> opening that you can approach people instead of just going there and grinning real big. Uh, can I just can I just talk to you for a second? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I also have had it go the other way, where you know we approach somebody uh, and we're like, "Hey, I'm Tyler from the Snail Trail Four by Four Podcast. Can I ask you a couple of questions?" They're like, "God, you do a podcast? Yeah, everybody's got a podcast." <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's been fun no no but i mean the, but that's what you got to do you know mm-hmm. and, and some people are going to uh, pitch into it like i said that's the great thing about joe rogan i mean it, it's increasing the popularity the 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 information of what a podcast is we've had a mm-hmm. really really good time uh interviewing folks like you uh that are willing to come on to this thing even if they don't listen to podcasts and mm-hmm. uh we're very fortunate and it probably happens to you too they find out about your podcast because you've interviewed them and they go listen to it or maybe they're going to, they'll listen to it prior to the to the, uh, the the interview. And I've had people go, yeah, I've listened to some of your episodes. You guys are kind of funny. And I went, kind of funny? Come on. <laughs> give me a break here. A little bit more credit than that. <laughs> <laughs> These are prime di- dad jokes. So, Oh, my God. Jimmy and his dad jokes. Don't, get him, don't, don't, ever, don't ever, ever get him started on those. He'll never stop. We'll have a dad joke off. <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm looking here because I was thinking High Sierra is no more. It, one of the mm-hmm. f- famous pod fades that happens to so many podcasts out there, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm seeing that the last episode was uh, August of 2019. So I'm, I'm I'm figuring you guys, when you guys left, you killed uh, High Sierra four by four. Is is that is that correct? <laughs> yes and no. It was already <laughs> kind of on its way out. You know, Greg. Um, Greg was having kids and his brother Jeff moved to Minnesota to um, start his own family kind of thing. Right. So um, the the family he kind of married into lived in Minnesota. So he moved out there and it was uh, as soon as that happened, they had big dreams of doing remote podcasts and mm-hmm. um, they just, it just never came to it's, fruition. It's a lot of so, work. All, all yeah. the hosts on the, the Jeep talk show are remote. We we do mm-hmm. everything over Skype, so mm-hmm. it, it it is uh, you miss you miss out on things, but I think we've compensated pretty well with it for the the number yep. of years that we've done it. So, uh, how many episodes do you, are you guys into now? You got quite a few. Oh my God, we uh, I think we just launched episode two hundred ninety seven on Thursday, um, and that was a doozy of an episode because I I broke uh, I had a very extreme break out at Moab on Golden Spike and. Uh, it took uh, it turned the trip into an extra six hours. Um, so the, the golden spike is supposed to be a 10, maybe 11 hour trip for the day. And it turned into an 18, 17 and a half, 18 hour trip. Um, but it was a, it was a really fun day, but there's a lot of really fun, <laughs> funny stories and uh, a lot of interesting uh, MacGyverism engineering happening in that one episode. But uh, yeah, we're coming up on 300 here shortly for the official show. Um, episodes but we've done you know bonus content during the uh, height of covid when everything was locked down we did uh these fun little like five to ten minute uh debates as to what could be better you know what do you do first to a vehicle skid plates or uh, sliders or 
you know, what's better, displacement or gearing and torque? Uh, you know, bead locks or no bead locks. Uh, so fun little debates, five, 10 minute things. We did a few of those. So I think the total number of content episodes we have out there is around 320, 325 and uh, 450 hours. So it's a, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, milestones, and I've mentioned it several times in this uh, this this interview. But milestones are so neat that you that you pass. And when you start a podcast, you think, you know, is anybody going to listen to this? Is, is this just going to crash and burn? Is this a waste mm-hmm. of my time? And then you don't get a lot of feedback in the beginning, or at least we didn't. And mm-hmm. it, it, then when you hit hit a hundred, you go, wow, this is a yeah. hundred. I've wasted a lot of my time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it's oh fun. God, the, it's fun having the conversations. Exact, yeah. Yep. We had the exact conversation at episode 200. It was like, what are we doing with our lives here? But it was, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's, you know, going back to the, the connections and the meetings with people, you know, you get to meet uh, people throughout the industry. We've built a great relationship with gear wrench. We have an awesome relationship with that uh, cruiser outfitters, Kurt Williams over there with uh, in the Toyota world. Um, we've built a pretty decent relationship with Marlon, uh, Tchaikovsky and his son, Mike from Marlon crawler. Um, you know, we're building a, a really cool relationship right now with Iron Man 4x4. Uh, we've built some good Jeep connections, too. We're uh, good buddies with the guys over at Metal Cloak because they're here in the Sacramento area. Um, it's just, you know, and for them, I've always, for the, the past, like, four to five years, every time I go and see Matson or Will over there, I'm just like, hey, guys, you guys got any Toyota products yet? And they're like, nope. Do you guys have any Jeeps yet? And we're like, nope. <laughs> so we're, we're always getting on each other. And they just started making some uh, control arms, uh, suspension links for fourth and fifth gen forerunners. So I'm like, hey, you guys are becoming a Toyota company finally. And they just kind of roll their eyes at me and tell me to go away. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just fun making the connections and meeting all the people in this uh, really, I think, pretty unique and kind of cool industry compared to other, a lot of other industries out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many episodes do you guys do a week? Uh, two a week. So, we have a Monday release and a Thursday release. Monday, uh, we try and keep to uh, infotainment. So, we try and uh, do something informational, educational. Um, so, interviews, talking about how gear ratios affect your vehicle. Um, what are, you know, different parts of axles. We get we dig into heavy on axles. We love axles. Um and so uh, Mondays are trying to be somewhat of educational. We want somebody to learn something on a Monday episode. Right. And then Thursdays are really kind of like what we've been up to. What have we been tinkering on in the garage? What of the, the latest trip we took? Uh, what breaks are we dealing with now? Um, I'm doing a kind of an overland camping trailer build that um, I actually need to get finished here before Overland Expo next week. And uh um, I don't know how I'm going to do that. We'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's just fun. Kind of the, the stuff and shenanigans we get ourselves into kind of comes out on Thursday episodes. Is it a uh, basically a, dis- a discussion uh, type uh, process, or do you have segments? How does how does that work? What would people uh, expect to find there? Yeah, we have a, a sometimes a lengthy, a little lengthier than we'd really want it to be. Uh, front end of the episode as we kind of get through housekeeping stuff, updates for the listeners. Um, Every month we do a giveaway, um, and so uh, we uh, uh, like this month we're giving away an Ironman 270 degree Delta wing awning at that's valued around eleven hundred twelve hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're giving that away to a listener from um, our paid supporters. Uh, so we have to kind of go over that info. 
Uh, we go over voicemails, so people get to call and leave a voicemail. Oh, and voicemails can be great. They're hilarious <laughs> sometimes. They're great. So we go over voicemails. We go over some reviews that people left for the podcast. Um, uh, we go over, you know, we do. A, we started a treasure hunt game where we have made <laughs> these uh, four-inch diameter cedar pucks that we've laser engraved, mm-hmm. and we go hide them out in different places. So we just hid a bunch of them out in Moab if anybody's looking um, but, uh, we've had them in, in places around the country that we go visit. We'll send them out to uh, special listeners that'll go hide them for us. And the oh, whole goal yeah, is great. When people get them, each puck has a letter on it. It spells out snail trail four by four. So if somebody finds 13 of pucks that spell out thir- uh, snail trail four by four, they win a big prize, a grand prize. So we have a full master mechanics tool set from gear wrench, which is, Eight hundred, nine hundred dollars um, more. I think it's more than that. Um, but no, six to seven hundred tools in it. I don't wow. know what the retail value of it is. Um, we have that for the first person that spells out snail trail four by four, and then we'll have another prize for the next person that spells out snail trail four by four. So it's a going to be a fun little treasure hunt game that just kind of helps encourage people to get out there and go go out and enjoy the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can create a create a game that helps people do that. Awesome. Yeah. No, it brings people together. No, I figured you you were going to say they were all engraved. All the pucks were engraved with U's. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, quite. puck you. Puck you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good the, one. Dad joke. doing that one. Dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell your co-host that one. He'll like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how the kids love the social media these days. How can, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. First off, how can people find the snail trail? Where can they find you uh, and listen? Yeah, good question. Pretty much anywhere podcasts are open at, uh, you know, iTunes podcast, Google podcast, Stitcher, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, um, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, pretty much any any podcast place. If you want a link to find it at a special place, you can go to the website, snailtrail4x4.com. Um, and there's a link there in the menu to go to the podcast page. And there's all the, the different links for all the different platforms there. Um, there's the, the social media as well. Jimmy kind of covers the Snail Trail 4x4 Instagram account. Um, so he's always got fun stuff going there in the TikTok as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots and of fun things. The snail trail YouTube channel as well. You can go check that out. And it's so. snail trail, uh, four by four on all the, the platforms. Yes, sir. Or mm-hmm. you can just, like you said, you can go to the snail trail four by four dot com. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and then you have links there if, if you, if you're curious about the social media. Exactly. Okay, yep. good, good, good. Well, you know what? I can't think, oh, uh, I'm almost forgetting. You got a little something for our listeners, don't you? We do indeed. Yeah. We love, uh, one of the things that I, I, I love supporting the off-road community, right? So, um, anytime I get a chance to offer uh, a special discount code to uh, a group of people in the off-road industry, um, I'm all about it. Um, and that's what we're here for. So we have a a 10% off anything more flate branded on the website. Um, just use a discount code Jeep 10. Now, now, are you going to verify that this is actually from a Jeep owner? I mean, can anybody <laughs> use the Jeep no. 10? <laughs> anybody can use it, even those those funny little samurai owners. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tyler, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And uh, we, uh, we've recently gone to a fourth episode, so uh, your hour and six-minute interview will be 
uh, very, very much appreciated uh, over oh, cool. the over the shorter ones. But you were warned <laughs> that it might be a sixty minute interview. Uh, That's fine. Yeah, whatever. It's always fun. It's always a good time. So yeah, thanks great. for having us on. Great. Thanks, uh, I'm glad to get to share some stories with you, have some laughs, and uh, well, we'll have to have we'll you back because I think we've yeah. only scratched the surface. I was just going to compliment you though on being a great interview, a great guest. You might want to think about starting your own podcast because I think you got a knack for it. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Thanks, man. <laughs> in, in your spare time. <laughs> yes, right. All right, Tyler. Have a great night. Thanks, bud. You too. Thanks again to Tyler Lawson or Larson uh, for taking the time uh, to talk about moreflate.com. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, really cool. I, it was, I learned so much about uh, the air compressors and uh, how, what you can and can't do. And sometimes why it takes so long to uh, fill up an air, uh, fill up a tire with air. Um, it's, uh, it all has to do with uh, how big the orifice is and, uh, you know, how much you can get in and out with, uh, with a valve there. So really, really great information. Tyler really has done his, uh, his uh, uh, work in thinking this thing through, and it sounds like a great system. Hey, do you have an idea for a guest? Do you work on the off-road industry or know someone who does? Or maybe you would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now and share your idea for our next great guest. Hey, coming up next week, Robert from elementfire.com. I mean, uh, if you follow Jay Leno, you may have actually seen Jay Leno talk about this uh, really cool fire extinguisher that uh, does a lot more and is a lot smaller and uh, easier to uh, store and uh, use than a traditional uh, powder or liquid fire extinguisher. So check out elementfire.com before our next interview episode. You know, it's very easy to sign up for a newsletter. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and you'll find a link to click and sign up. And don't worry, it is as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. Hey, that's uh, it for the Jeep Talk Show on this episode, Jeeper. Until our next show, be sure and listen to the Jeep Talk Show first ever special episode interview with co-host Chuck. We've gotten several compliments on that, and uh, uh, even people saying Chuck has a very interesting life, and we're not even done uh, halfway through the story. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Podcasting since 2010.